What's up, y'all? This is Chitty Bang, and I'm on the Renegade Millionaire Show, the podcast that profiles entrepreneurs, founders, and CEOs. Join us as we go one-on-one inside the hearts and minds of some of our generation's best and brightest. And now, introducing your host, my friend, Sun Group Wealth Partners Managing Director, CNBC and Forbes.com contributor, Winnie Sun. Well, hi, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to the Renegade Millionaire Show. I just want to make a quick note before we start with Nolan News' interview that his company, which was previously called Gorilli, is now called Showroom R. It's your host, Winnie Sun, welcoming you to beautiful Venice Beach. We're here at TuneIn Studios in L.A., and I'm so excited today. You know, we get to speak with all sorts of interesting people. As you know, most of we meet with, you know, CEOs of major companies, celebrities, and the up and coming. And today's guest kind of checks all three boxes. So fun, fun day. Those of you who know me already um, probably have heard this. But as you know, I'm a financial advisor, managing partner of Sun Group Wealth Partners here in beautiful Southern California. So I invite you to take a moment to follow me, super active on Twitter. We'll get make sure to get all those handles. But most importantly today, I really want to introduce you to our incredible guests. But before we get there, I want to share a little bit of factoid. Did you know that baby boomers are no longer comprised of the larger share of households buying furniture? And you thought, Winnie, what are you sharing this factoid about furniture? Okay, bear with me. We're getting there. Millennials do. So go millennials. A generational analysis of furniture in today's exclusive 2015 consumer buying trends survey shows that the buying power has shifted since 2012. In fact, in 2012... Boomers accounted for 42% of all furniture sales. Fast forward to 2014, that's only 29%. So millennials now are comprising of 37% of all households buying furniture, which I'm really excited about because you know what that means. That means the furniture coming out is going to be hipper and cooler and nicer than ever because I spend time with millennials and they've got great taste. And with that, That gets my segue to my incredible guest, Dretz to the T, by the way, Nolan New. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And I joke with Nolan because I've officially named him my unofficial cousin because background words were slightly somewhat similar. As we are. In that way, in that we are both um, Chinese, but born here in the beautiful U.S. of A. That's 100% correct. Right? And uh, we're one of the... We're, we're, we're kind of a minority these days, but born in the U.S., and we both speak Chinese thanks to a little bit of hard work that our parents went through of sending us to this, um, we call it boot camp for uh, those of us that grew up in the States called Chinese Weekend Chinese School. Yes, that's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> and those of you who happen to attend, I'm telling you, this is like, it's like misery. So most of us go to school Monday through Friday. And then the rest of us that are these ABCs where their, their parents wanted them to learn their foreign language, we had to go and do a sixth day of school learning Chinese. And it was kind of miserable. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but mine was a full, like a normal day. So it was yeah. like 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. It was awful. It was awful. <laughs> I mean, your friends are out there, you know, at the beach and playing sports and stuff, and you're going to Chinese school. It's not the coolest and hippest thing, let me tell you. Yeah. 
I mean, looking back, it's good because we can speak the language, right? Absolutely. But at the time, it was just painful. I mean, it was like, Mom, I don't want to go to Chinese school. But on that note, so you were, but I mean, you were born and raised in Washington, D.C. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I grew up in the suburbs, um, just outside of D.C., Silver Spring. I mean, that's kind of where I spent most of my childhood and, uh, you know, didn't really, it's, it's interesting how my path kind of carried me around from Maryland to New York to California. I had a short stint in Europe, uh, basically for an uh, industrial design program out there as well. Mm-hmm. But the bulk of it was growing up in the East Coast, in the suburbs. Um, it's, you know, very different than living out here in California by a long stretch. You got the weather, the people, the culture. So it's, you know, and, and it's it's fascinating because where I grew up, I always kind of wonder where my, you know, what I lived in has no correlation to what I do today, right? <laughs> right. You know, so what my parents' home looked like was brown and boring and, you know, it, it was very, there was no emphasis on furnishings whatsoever. It was like, okay, this, this, this works. It's practical. Right. Right. I had the same wooden, you know, when they had the TV with the wooden uh, yeah, outside, yeah. we had one of those. Everybody had one of those. And they had a little dust cloth on top. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's now look where we are, right? We've got TVs that are like super thin and, you know, it's, it's great. Oh, but I, I'm sure your house is just a, a little bit cooler and hipper than all of us. <laughs> and I'm sure your Chinese parents are probably like, but they cost so much money. Yes, that's, right? yeah, it's always, you know, they don't, it's, it's a thing, they, it's, it's a double one. One is it's too much money, even though it's from my factory, right? Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is, is that it's all black, which is a big no-no, right? So you can't, <laughs> can't have black. Can't, have black I love you. that, though. Yeah. Okay. So the whole place is actually monochromatic, uh, mostly because it's, it's set up as a studio. Oh, wow. Yeah, so... So speaking of which, those of you who, who may not be familiar with Nolan, he's like a huge deal. He's been featured in his – him and his company has been featured in Dwell, Interior Design, The New York Times, Maxim, Esquire, just to name a couple. And, and beginning January 2015, in fact, Spike TV's new furniture design competition uh, framework is right. featuring you. Yeah, you know, I, I had the honor to be asked – to be a part of a judge. Uh, this show was essentially, um, I was the design judge. Common, who was a fantastic host, he was the... Kind Common's of the, awesome. Yeah, he's a great guy. Super gentleman, uh, very humble. And, uh, you know, he, he basically was the role of the everyday consumer. And Brandon <laughs> Gore was the, you know, fabrication expert. So the three of us brought our separate expertise into the show. But what I really liked was, is, and I was always joking on set, was like, man, we're like the Star Trek of reality TV show, you know. We're, Why do you say that? Well, because, you know, very rarely do you see television shows where you have such a great, diverse group of, eth- you know, ethnicities, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got, you know, I couldn't look any more different than from Common or Brandon right. and vice versa. So it was almost like one side to the other. But design sees no ethnicity, right? So mm-hmm. it's it's all encompassing. So we, the three of us would get together and in interesting enough, we always came to the same conclusion of what we liked and disliked. So I think that's really fascinating. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, I read your bio and I, I 
I think you, in many ways you started off very similarly to a lot of what I would call, you know, Asian American young people in that, you know, you always had a love for Lamborghinis and all things beautiful. But you kind of had a more typical Asian education or background. Yes. Right? Um, so maybe you could talk about that because now, obviously, I can see meeting you and talking to you and even reading your biography, you are doing something that you were born to do, meaning this is in your DNA and your aura. You love design and making things practical, comfortable, but extremely high design. But it didn't start that way. And so I would consider you one of the fortunate few, just like I would see myself as being very fortunate to be able to find a path that we were just perfectly matched for and to make a very good, solid living from. But talk about where you were before in terms of education to where you are today. You know, it, it, like any traditional Asian family, I can say, uh, it's, it's always this push for doctor, lawyer, or anything related to computers, right? Uh, I knew I didn't have the, the retention for a lawyer. Mm -hmm. I definitely didn't have the patience to be a doctor. And, you know, computers was, I was like, okay, you know, I mean, I'm, I was from the era when we had the 286 and the dial-up modems with the, <laughs> you know, and the, the bulletin board systems. I mean, I've been on the internet way before, you know, Yahoo and everything was, and you could see the data kind of trickling down on I the remember screen. That. So I, I thought, okay, this is probably a reasonable career. And my parents, they were really adamant. They said, listen... Uh, you've got these three choices, and that's the three choices that we'll pay for. Uh, anything else is on your own. So I decided to go ahead and try basically computer science and applied to the University of Maryland College Park, which I got accepted for. And it was two of the most miserable years of my life. I mean, I it was, it was fascinating because I, A, I... I Obviously, I couldn't hack it. Uh, it was very difficult. But I didn't really envision myself being in an environment where I couldn't be creative. And mind you now, the space within the computer industry is far more creative than it was when I was in my time. It was just... It was just a black screen. Yeah, that and... And all it, the font looked the same. And they were just barely you know, finishing up with the, mm -hmm. the punch cards. Right. You know, so I remember, you know, my father was a computer programmer too. So he would have stacks of punch cards. And I remember, you know, looking at them and stuff. And it would spend hours punching, you know, for the frame. So I, it just wasn't an interest to me. I dropped out and uh, I picked up an art class at a community college. And there was a, a professor who, you know, I, I really, I, I hate that I don't remember his name, but. He really was the one that kind of introduced me to the idea of looking into design other than, you know, say, fine arts. So he said, hey, you know, you, you look like you know what you're doing, but, you know, maybe you should think about doing this as a career. And that's when he induced, introduced me to a school called the University of Arts in Philadelphia. And I applied to there, did an uh, industrial design program. They accepted me, which was great. And uh, fate, as you would have it, one day I'm flipping through the Peterson's Guide for Colleges, and I'm looking and I see, wow, what is this? Like, Art Center College of Design, number one in the world. Whoa. And I was like, why am I not there? Let you me know? try this. Yeah, so I, I'll never forget. It was a Wednesday afternoon. I was in my first semester in Philadelphia, and I picked up the phone. I called the admissions office, 
and we started talking. I said, yeah, you know, where are you from? I said, yeah, I'm from, you know, just a suburb outside D.C. He's like, really? Oh, so am I. And the admissions director happened to be literally like 10 minutes away from where I grew up. Wow. So she said, literally, she said, this is faded. I'm going to be in Baltimore. Is there any way you can meet me in Baltimore? Wow. I'm going to be there on Thursday reviewing portfolios. And I was like, you know what? I'll, I don't know how it is. I'll, I'll make it work. I hang up the phone. I call my parents. I was like, Mom, Dad, you won't believe it. I just got the phone with the admission director with Art Center, college, college of Design. I ha- you have to get me to Baltimore. And this was Wednesday afternoon, right? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, they want to see my portfolio at 10 a.m. And, you know, my mom's like, are you crazy? You're already in Philadelphia. You've only been there for one semester. Mm-hmm. You have a scholarship. Typical now, Asian parents. Yeah, now, now Not you practical. Leave. Yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, she's like, no. If you want to do it, you find your way down there. So I packed my stuff. I've got my portfolio together. I hopped on a Greyhound bus, and I made it to the interview the next morning, 10 a.m. Baltimore. And she looked at my portfolio. She's like, listen, you know, you're in the wrong school. You got to come out to Art Center. And I said. Oh, my God. Seriously, I'm getting chills. We have fist pump right yeah. now. <laughs> Seriously. Okay, I love this. So then she, she said you're in a straight. So what? Did you decide? You know, yeah, and and. There was kind of a a crossroads there because my parents were really, you know, they were already no longer financially supporting what I was doing in Philadelphia because it was art-driven. You know, they were giving me some help, but it was pretty much like, hey, you want to go to Cali, you're on your own. Like, you're going to have to pay for it. So I said, fine. I packed my stuff, I put it in the car, you know, shipped it out to California, and then took some basic courses at, PCC and tried to build up my G, you know, my GE credits and stuff. And Save some money, right? Right. And then from Art Center at Night, finally got accepted. And so it was a long process, but, you know, it's it's funny how things work when you least expect it, you know. And, and I, I think from a lot of the experiences in my life, I am a firm believer that if you never try, you don't know. So I'm always willing to give something a try. It doesn't matter whether someone may think it's a good or a bad idea. I, I always try it. I think you have to. I mean, I recently um, spent some time with um, some really famous people, right? Um, but that, that's kind of like the underlying theme. In order to achieve, you have to take risk. If you don't take risk, you'll never achieve because you'll never know what you missed out on. Right. We met Richard Branson. We we had I heard him speak just recently. He said, I was at the airport and all the flights got canceled. And I said, I should just like start an airline. And that's how it all started. But if you don't try, then you won't get there. And then thank goodness you tried and made the decision because look at where you are now. Yeah, it's it's uh, sometimes it's interesting when I look back at the path and even with the factory, it's the same thing. It's it's very similar to what you're saying with uh, Richard Branson about the plight, flights. It's it's no different. You know, I was working with a sub, you know, kind of a subcontract vendor that I was making all my furniture, and they were consistently late. The quality was horrible, and I couldn't get things delivered on time. And pricing was outrageous. I mean, I had a sofa. Imagine a, telling a client it's it's a year and two months. How can you wait a year and two months for a sofa? Right. And and it put me in a really awkward position, and that was kind of a turning point. And one day I, had, I was I was sitting, was working as a consultant for a company, and the production manager of that company said, "Nolan, why don't you open a factory?" And I was like, "I don't know, man. I don't know if that's something I want to do." 
Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, but you've been doing it for so long. It, it seems like you could do it. He's like, just get a small space. And I was like, I'm sure you'll figure it out. And literally, again, how it's weird how the cards align. I uh, That day I looked on Craigslist and there was a uh, space, a thousand square feet in downtown LA available. I called, but when I dialed, it was already in my contacts. I had called this space a year prior looking for studio space. And the guy obviously was like not interested in having me there. And I had his name. It was really interesting. And I called again. It was a whole different circumstance. And I ended up getting the space. And within two weeks, I had the shop up and running. And it was like a thousand square feet. It was very small. Um, But it's... I think it's it's one of those things where you have to have this mindset that you know everybody likes to talk about stuff, but you just have to you, know, you have to take action. You have to take action. 100%. Yeah, I think that's the biggest difference between those who have been mildly successful and those who have been extremely successful. The ones that people like you who have now are have a show on TV, who, you know, a lot of people that I'm sure sketch furniture at home and have gone to good art schools and and had somewhat similar paths to you, but to have what you have basically means one thing. Well, I think two things. Number one, you obviously have incredible talent, no, no doubt, but you have great tenacity and also you, you work really hard. I mean, when I read your bio and I read that you basically only get to eat one meal per day because you're so busy, I can actually relate to that because I don't know about you, but I can't remember the last time I watched a movie and I hardly don't even watch TV, even though my background was in television. I still do a lot of, I'm on TV. So when I do it, I, I watch my own show, but like there's just no time for it. Right. And it's not like we feel like we're losing out. We just have other things that are more important that we need to get to. Right. Right? No. And and it's also I always talk about there's there's a couple of things. One is you have to have integrity. And and the other the other is 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 owning up to you know, just kind of do what you say. You got to be able to deliver. And deliver. You know, and that's really Every time. important. I mean, just as an example, I'm not. I'm not saying this to to sound, you know. But I I was up last night till 4 a.m. working on, you know, construction documents for a nightclub I'm working on here in L.A. Mm-hmm. Uh, they needed it this morning. It had to be done, right? So I had to somehow figure out Aww. how to go from there, get the drawings delivered at nine to come here. But that's just part of the game, you know. And I like that. Thank you. That well, f- thank you for me. <laughs> no, it's 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 for me. That's the fun part about life is the problem solving portion of it. There's a lot of, you know, I think to sit around every day and kind of do nothing, I, I would go crazy. Me too. You then know? there's like no purpose. Plus it feels like the fact that you're able to do that and balance and get that job done and to get here. I mean, for me, it gets, I can't kind of get excited because I feel like superwoman and you probably feel like Superman a little bit because people are sleeping and we're getting stuff done and, like yeah. you just the, the one of the things is people always say like well don't you wish you had a twin and that's true but if you really maximize your time you're almost like squeezing an extra person out you just out you outwork yeah <laughs> right like you might be smarter than me but I will outwork you yeah. you know <laughs> no and I you know I couldn't agree with you more and that's you know I read a a book a long time I don't remember what it was uh, it, it talked about the attitude of successful people. 
and how successful people don't really think about the weekends. You know, it's every day. Every is, day is, is work. A, is a work. It's day. opportunity, but work doesn't. It's, work is not a negative connotation to us. Not at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I enjoy what I do, and I think the other portion of what they said in the book was really interesting. Is that instead of thinking of that the weekend is a Saturday or Sunday, maybe your weekend's a Tuesday, maybe your weekend's a Thursday. It could be a Monday, and it it moves around, and it gives you this opportunity to be flexible. And I think. We as a society, we're so stuck to this routine, right, which is Monday through Friday, 40 hours a week, wake up, eat breakfast, lunch, dinner, sleep, and it's this cycle. But if you think about it, it is really hard to get a lot of things done if you're trapped in this routine. In the schedule. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you break it out and you start to do, say, you know, 16, 18-hour runs here, a rest here, you know, bigger burst there. I mean, you do get more work done. So Yeah, and you get a balance. I mean, I think, you know, I now have three younger kids under the age of six, so oh, that wow. forces you to be a little bit more balanced. But the great thing is one doesn't have to go without the other. And I think that's a good example to my kids to see that, you know, that I have, I'll take a a, a true off day, like in the middle of the week, to mm-hmm. be with them. But they also understand to, to have the things that we have and to live the life that we have and to have mom and dad around all the time, it comes at a cost. Yeah. And someone's got to pay the bills. Right. So I don't really think as it is a negative, but I think culturally a lot of people will say, oh, that's so sad. You work so much and you do so much and you need to take a break. But really, if you think about it in some ways, it's a gift. Because I feel like it's a gift that I have something to do every day mm-hmm. that, that makes me happy, right. right? And I'm making a difference in people's lives. Like, that's why when I take a look at your, your website and your, your, I call them pieces of art, incredible. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, and on top of it, I read that it's very, very comfortable. So I can't wait to go and experience this. Anytime you want to stop by the factory, you're welcome to. <laughs> That's really, really cool. In fact, I think we should do a whole broadcast just from the, stu- um, from the factory, right? Um, so let's talk about that. So you thought, you know, this is crazy. Uh, over a year for a piece of sofa, it would drive me nuts. I'd be like, where's my temporary sofa? <laughs> what am I going to sit on, like an air mattress? But So then you decided to make furniture in your factory. So you get to control every nook and cranny, every bit of quality, right? Absolutely. And, you know, the the other really fun part about it is that I'm able to see the process in person. So I can go from a sketch to a 3D model to a 3D rendering to actually working with the guys making the piece and then seeing the finished products. So I, and, and that, for me, the process is the most fun for me. You know, it's more than just here you go and hand it away. I mean, that's fun too, but I like to see the inner workings of a piece and I think it's really important that not only the design is of great quality, but what goes inside should be as well. So, the, I mean, if I'm hearing you right, every piece is custom then. Every piece is, yeah, custom. It's made to order. We don't inventory any, anything. The business model, uh, we work after, you know, work. Uh, sorry, I'm going to say that over again. <laughs> um, you're right. Uh, it basically... The business model we we follow is um, it's all kind of just in time manufacturing, and that's how we do it. Where we order the materials, when the order comes in, we process it, we make the order, and that actually helps us be more competitive in regards to 
other companies because we're not holding a ton of inventory. So we don't have our you know money locked up in product that's just sitting on the floor. So And it's made in beautiful USA. It's made in LA, right? <laughs> yeah, you know what? Uh, I don't know if you're a, a, a true detective fan, but season two is actually based on the city where we're we're in, which is they say it's Vinci, but the city of Vernon is where my, my shop is. So very cool. Yeah, yeah my good friend um, Peter Kim, CEO of Hudson Jeans. Um, I'm so proud of him too because he makes his the jeans in LA, and it's not the cheapest, but it's certainly I think it's the best because mm-hmm. you have. But I love the fact that you're making these pieces locally, and that. I can I can see why you've become so popular so quickly too because you can get so let me ask you this start mm-hmm. to finish on let's say for example someone comes to you and says you know Nolan I want this amazing sofa in my 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 restaurant or something how long start to finish you know generally if we're if we're on the slow side I would say it's around four weeks wow that's it's, quick yeah and if we're busy you know we try not to go beyond eight weeks because we know. Most companies, they're between 8 to 12 weeks. And some of the European brands, they can be as long as, you know, I don't know, 18, 20 weeks out. I mean, it's, it's pretty – but people want to wait for it because they want the brand, you know, simply what you're talking about, millennials being more uh, interested in their in living environment. And I think that's because there's this whole uh, – Millennials care, I think, a lot more about brands and experience and and lifestyle more so than the baby boomers, right? Absolutely. They're willing to pay for lifestyle. And they understand the quality and the process and what things go in. I would say that majority of my sales – in the beginning, there's a lot of hesitation because they say, oh, wow, this is kind of expensive. Mm -hmm. But once they come to the shop and I walk them through the process and I say, hey, look, you know – building a sofa is actually very similar to the human body. And they're like, well, why? You know, just like a sofa and the human body, the sofa, your wood would be your bones, right? Uh, the, The seating suspension, the springs and the webbing would be like your muscle. The foam over that would be kind of like the fat. And then finally, the leather or the fabric would be your skin. And it's really important that the frame of the sofa is, you know, to spec and looks great because any imperfection actually resonates through the surface. So it's like if you broke your bone, right? Mm-hmm. You would actually see that imperfection. And, and right. so for us, we really focus on the build quality from the ground up. So and you think about how much time you spend on the sofa and how long you keep a sofa. You should buy something of quality. Yeah, no. I mean, I've seen reupholstery. We did a reupholstery on one sofa that was a Canadian manufacturer. It was 27 years old. Wow. The wood, the foam, everything was intact. It was just the leather that was beat up. But compared to a reupholstery I did recently, and this was a quality piece. I mean, they spent $4,000. It was a cardboard box on the inside, and it was like a television. It was like a carton from a television box that they use to line the sides. I've seen packing foam. I found like diapers. You you find the weirdest things in in You've heard about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's unfortunate that people don't have any integrity, Mm -hmm. that they do things and and try and undercut and save. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really, you know, you're saving a few cents and it's not worth it. 
Right, exactly. So let's talk about um, your business then. So what would you say are like your your core products that I guess would you, you see in my business? This is either the things that I sell most of. I would say that the core is upholstered goods. You know, that's really what we specialize in, and that's that's our strength. You know, so we really are big on sofas and armchairs, and you know that that sort of soft goods. I would say. Um, Carpentry side, we're we're good, but we're really more on the, you know, high end custom. So we won't really get into volume, say carpentry, unless we have to. We do have a CNC machine, so we can do the volume. Mm-hmm. Um, it just gets tricky because of, you know, it's one thing to ship a sofa; it's another thing to ship a cabinet, right? Because if I ship a sofa, if I accidentally bump into something, I'm okay. I, that makes perfect sense right? now that you say this. If I got to ship a cabinet, I mean, you have to walk around like it's porcelain because, you know, one little breath. And it's okay if the owner makes the little scuff, right? It's okay. But if we make the scuff, oh, my gosh, it's over, right? It's life is over. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's so funny that you say that. But it's like you would think there's so many more important things in life. But you're so brilliant. That's true because if the sofa gets bumped, it's got cushions. So it's okay. Right, and it can just be as long as you're wrapped nice and clean. So that's incredible. So talk. Let's talk about the the, the process for someone who hasn't visited your showroom or hasn't had a, a piece of your art. Someone comes in and says, "Okay, so I'm going to." I, I'm guessing. Do you do more commercial or do you do more residential or both? It's both. Both. Okay. Yeah. So let's say someone um, buys a brand new home, then right, and obviously they want your pieces in there. What's a typical process? Uh, typically, you know, if we have some online retailers that we work with, uh, you know, we work with White Living. They're actually a great, great company. They've been a big um, help They're for online? Us. Yeah, White Living's online. White Living's online. Okay. Um, we also work with Wayfair, which everyone's familiar with, mm-hmm. and All Modern. And, and they've, um, they do my online presence, and we do a lot of uh, direct-to-retail sales. But typically, the order gets placed, and then we, the first step is, is if we've got, if it's a leather or one of the wools that's out in Europe, we have to order it because it usually takes about two weeks to get it. And that's actually a, the bulk of our lead time because, you know, our leather's, le- excuse me, <clears throat> the bulk of our lead time is uh, receiving materials from Europe. Uh, Elmo leather comes from Sweden. Maharam comes from Denmark. And that takes about two weeks in itself, right? Wow. Um, but yeah, no, once we get the materials in, then we begin to build the sofa. And I mean, that's, it's pretty seamless. Uh, we're, we're all digital. Everything's email. There's no paper. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Well, I don't know about you, but I know where I'm getting my next sofa from. <laughs> this is a no-brainer. <laughs> you get the friends and family discount. So. <laughs> this is incredible. But that was on the air. <laughs> but incredible. Wow. Well, well, let me ask you this. So... Obviously, someone of your talent and design air. I mean, you could do anything. So what brought you to furniture? So I'm sure you didn't wake up when you're in college. You know what? I think I'm going to grow up and design furniture. Yeah, no. It, it actually, um, once the dot-com boom collapsed, you know, I was one of the lucky few that, and that's the irony of it. This is kind of funny. So after I came out of Art Center, I had this great degree, you know, bachelor's of science in industrial design and I was jobless for like a year and a half almost two years and I get a phone call from my buddy he's like hey you gotta come out to New York man I'm gonna get you this job 
We're gonna get you like a six figure salary. I was Whoa. like, I was like, what? What are you t- talking? Can't about? even survive on six hundred thousand in New York. <laughs> I was like, whatever. And I went out there, and the CEO happened to be an ex illustrator, and he looked at my portfolio, really liked it. He's like, you know what? Um, I think we can find somewhere for you. And you know, I was part of that huge wave. Um, I was one of the few that left before bust. And I took a sabbatical. I went. I spent four months in Europe. And there I really – I think that's when I took on furniture because the Europeans, again, they're, they're very focused on lifestyle, right? I'm going to take two hours for lunch and mm-hmm. I'm going to – you know, it's about family. It's about living. Mm-hmm. So the quality of their furnishings in their home are very important to them. And it's interesting – their goods in Europe is actually affordable compared to what we pay, pay right? Because mm-hmm. we have to import it. Right. So the goods is usually twice as much as what they would pay in Europe. Because it's made in Europe. Right. Right. So after seeing that and why I landed mostly on upholstery is, is you know, the, the sofa or the sectional is the focal point of the home. This is where everybody interacts every day. Right. It's a social piece and I really enjoy that. Like it's and it's also too. It's fun when you go to trade shows. You can see people's immediate reaction. Either they love the piece or they absolutely hate it. There's there's no you know gray <laughs> right. Like ah, oh, this is ugly or man, I really love it. And I think that this social interaction is what I really enjoy about it. Wow, that's incredible. So what's next? What's next for you? Uh, you know, uh, right now I'm actually I, I just partnered up with a company called uh, Gorilli.com. And it's a fantastic concept. We're going to be rolling out predominantly in San Francisco. And basically the idea is is that I have existing customer base, obviously, who have my products in their home. But since mostly my stuff is being purchased online, there's no brick-and-mortar place. And that's probably the, the first question that everyone asks is, where can I go sit and see your products? So Gorilla essentially is almost the Airbnb, but for furniture. So oh, interesting. the idea is, is that you would go to the website mm-hmm. and you would see, say, oh, uh, Nolan New, there's this guy that has a Nolan New sofa here in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. You call the people up, you schedule an appointment to see it. And if they buy, Gorilla pays, you know, a 10% commission to the customer. Oh my gosh, that's so customer. genius. And then I love that. they pay, obviously... A lower percent, you know, they take a lower commission than a traditional retailer, right? Because traditional retailer takes 50%. So they take their lower, you know, percentage and then they pay the manufacturer out. So, you know, this is a company, they've been around for a little while and they were looking for somebody in the furniture industry to kind of help them grow it. And so now we're on this big push right now to find, you know, go really showrooms in the Bay Area that have my pieces and really start to push this engine. So that's kind of the latest uh, project that we're working on. Well, I got friends for you in Silicon Valley that we can introduce to right away. Yeah, That is really, really fascinating. And that's so smart because it's such an efficient way because there's a lot of people, like my business partner, his house looks like a showroom because he doesn't have kids, right? It's like it looks pristine all the time. He would be perfect for this. And he's, there's so many people. And then that's another small way that they can offset their insane prices of housing in in Northern California too. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, if you show, you know, if you get a piece of sofa, if a sofa is 
five thousand dollars that you buy, mm-hmm. right? And you, if you get ten percent on it every time, you can almost pay for itself. You don't after, even need. You know, so if you're, yeah, if you're big, if you're big, you know, Northern California real estate firm, hey, instead of staging costs, you know, offset it by having this incredible piece in your lineup. Yeah. So yeah, when they pitched it to me, I was like, "This is a no-brainer. I got to be a part of this." Yeah. And so you know, we've been working together now um, since April, trying to develop it and and get it together. So we're going to be relaunching the website or the you know the, the Go Really website. That's kind of share with my platform. They're going to roll it out, but you know, then there's going to be an app and everything to tie in. But it, you know, I think it's a fantastic idea, and I'm really excited about it. So, well, as your friend, the financial advisor, I hope you ask for equity. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that I could talk be, about that, but XA on the radio that'll be off air. Yeah. But but those of you who have questions like that, you can call me. I will help you through this process. That's um, great. That's amazing. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking those of you who are listening, we need to like schedule. We need to schedule a show from his showroom. I mean, a showroom from his factory. Because so I want to see a fat. I mean, a sofa being made. Right? How cool would that be? Now that's video, right? Well, with that, I'm so excited. Anything else you want to share with us? Um, no, I mean, to your point, I guess the, the only other thing, I think with a lot of people, they don't the, – the one thing that upholstered goods like sofas and armchair differ from, say, case goods is that it cannot be automated. It still takes a oh. human to make it, right? So Really? Because yeah. it has to have someone like – Keep the cushion down. Be- well, when you're, for example, when you're doing the back of the sofa, okay, every single material, the leather, the fabric, they all pull differently. They all feel differently. So it's a it's a very hand hand on hands on process. So it's not like a machine that can go in. For example, inside of the frame of the sofa with tight crevices, they've got to be able to pull the fabric and staple it down. You know, whereas a cabinet, you can CNC and just farm it out. I mean, I've even watched in videos, what was it, the um, super factories of Ikea. They're laying the, the finish, the final lacquer coat, like mm-hmm. on a film, and it gets baked on, and it's a giant conveyor belt full of door panels, and you can't do that with so a So like Willy Wonka factory for furniture. Yeah, it was. it's really incredible. Uh, I forgot which channel I saw it on, but it was fantastic. So that's really interesting to, to, that you say that because – so it is all handmade because you see some of, like you said – Ikea is a great example. They have very, very inexpensive sofas amongst everything else. So those are still handmade? They are. And actually, no, they are. They actually, you know, they have a a factory in Sweden. I don't know how old this episode was, Mm -hmm. but the one I saw, they were doing that particular factory was 600 sofas a day. Whoa. How many do you do a day? um, We, you know, each guy does about... A sofa to two sofas, depending on style, per day. So, yeah. So, I mean, we're, you know, on the high side, maybe, you know, six sofas if we're lucky, three sofas, you know, three to four sofas average a day. You know, in IKEA, they're they're 600, but it was interesting. They had a a woman that was specifically stuffing pillows and someone was specifically wrapping a arm, and there was parts of the sofa that were essentially particle board that had been CNC'd out mm-hmm. and guys that were strictly assembling. Mm. So that's how they were getting the volume. But again, you're, you're losing the quality side of it because it is particle board. It, you know, you get what you pay for. That's well, it's not, like a, it's not a sofa they're going to keep for 20 years. No, it's not. And, yeah. and that's – don't get me wrong. I, you know, I, I think IKEA has done a fantastic job with mm-hmm. you know, getting the world – 
kind of design. Yeah, acquainted to great design. But right. the problem is, is they've created a throwaway furniture society. Right. Right. And that's not eco-friendly. And that's the battle that I usually have, right? I talk to my client and they say, well, why am I going to spend this much money for your sofa? I can go to Ikea and get it for less. And I said, yeah, but it's not eco-friendly. You're throwing it away. It's not that comfortable, too. I mean, that's the honest truth, too. I mean, and then not only that, I I see businesses that I'll go to um, that do, I I know do very good business, and I see the furniture. It just doesn't look the part. I I understand what you mean. Like our conference room, our table, I I don't even know how much our table costs, but everything came from Europe. Our, Our office chairs even have the white stitching like you would see in Burberry. Right. And people would ask me, so, like, where did you get this chair from? I said, um, yeah, it, it, I think it was made in London. And they're like, how much do you spend? I said, well, it's quality, right? Doesn't it sit really comfortably? And there's just a different feel when you walk in and you see it. You can't really, you can't explain it, but you just know it's different. Mm-hmm. It's not something you just see. Right, right. That everybody has a ton of, yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> I'm so happy to have met Nolan today. I don't know about you, but with that, Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for I feel like me. we've been friends for eons. So, how cool is that? And thank you so much for um, bringing uh, this relationship together. With that, a huge thank you also for tuning in to the Renegade Millionaire Show, where it's never quite boring. Oh, you know what? I almost forgot my question that I didn't answer. So, Kevin will have to scroll back. One real quick question for you, Nolan. I always ask this question because I'm always curious. So on the very first check that you made, like, you know, we always have that one check where we feel like, oh, wow, this is actually a decent-sized check. What did you buy? (laughs) Let's think about that one. What did I buy? Huh. It's not the right answer. It's just the answer. I know. (laughs) I'm trying to think because it was so long ago. You know, if I... If I have to think, I don't. I don't, th- I don't think I bought anything. I know that I moved into a better apartment. Okay. I think that's really probably what I did. And it was like one of my first royalty checks because I was doing uh, design on the side for a manufacturer based in LA, and, and the royalty check came in, and I was like, "Holy cow!" <laughs> uh, and yeah, you know what? I didn't really have any type of desire to get something. I was because I guess I was living in such a crappy apartment. <laughs> and uh, I was I was dying to move out of it. So with that check, actually, my credit was horrible. So I, I now I remember it. It was towards the deposit of getting in a new place, and you know that's where it went. Well, no problem with that now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now we're all good. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, with that. Thank you so much, Nolan, for being on the show. Thank you. Complete pleasure. I feel like we've known each other for eons. And this is Winnie Sun. Thank you so much again for tuning in to the Renegade Millionaire Show. I don't know about you, but I love to see Nolan come back, and we'll have to follow his journey because this is, this is good, good stuff. And to learn more about him, let's find out where we can follow you. Are you, are you active on social? I am. I'm on Facebook, which is just Nolan New. Uh, all together. And it's N-I-U. Yeah, N-O-L-E-N-N-I-U. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Yeah. I bet you your Instagram must be so fun to watch. Uh, it's actually not. <laughs> <laughs> because I would think that I would see all these beautiful pictures of furniture. Maybe you have to work on that. No? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, amazing. And I'm really active on Twitter, and that's at Sun Group WP. I'm on all those other channels that Nolan had mentioned as well. And you can follow me on WinnieSun.com, and that's sun like the sun in the sky. So very easy. Winnie is smelled like Winnie the Pooh. And thanks again. And until next time, I'll talk to you later.